Let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2 and finish what I began a little while ago. 1 Peter chapter 2. Let me read those two verses to you again. Dearly beloved, verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against you, whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. That's what we ended with. Because it has the expression in it, the phrase, strangers and pilgrims. I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. We had it the first time in Hebrews chapter 11, where those fathers of ours and mother, Sarah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob, they were persuaded of God's promises, they embraced them, and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth, thus declaring that they were looking for a different country, and that different country was heaven. This passage tells us that the Apostle Peter, by inspiration, besought, begged, implored, pleaded with this audience of his that as strangers and pilgrims, they would abstain from fleshly lusts. They would not get enamored with or attached to the things of this world that everyone else gets enamored with and attached to. Whether it's a weight or whether it's sin. As we learned from Hebrews 12, there are both that hinder us running our race to win. And we by our good works, which they shall behold, that means a visible change in life, should be visible to anyone around us that we are different. Lord, help us to be different. Okay, let's now turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, as Paul closes out this epistle to the Hebrews the Jewish Christians of Judea. And he has made a brief reference to the altar in verse 10 and 11. A couple of the beasts that were slain in the Day of Atonement were not offered, were not burned up on the altar there in front of the tabernacle. They were carried outside the camp and burned up. And that is mentioned in verse 11. So that brings us to verse 12. Wherefore, We have an altar described and animal bodies being burned up outside the camp to get that sin that had been put on them as far away as possible. Wherefore, Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered without the gate. Jesus died outside the city of Jerusalem on Calvary or Golgotha. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Notice this theme of the Apostle Paul, that since Jesus was taken outside the camp and crucified on the hill of Calvary, like the beasts from the Day of Atonement were taken outside the camp to be burned, so we ought to go outside the camp to follow Christ. The camp, in this case, 
is God's church. It was Israel. But to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it's that camp or any camp, you will quickly find that people hate you and would kill you if they could if you follow Christ correctly, completely, sacrificially. 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And so there's reproach involved. Look at verse 13. Let us go forth therefore. If Jesus did it, He certainly was a stranger and a pilgrim in this world. He didn't have a place to lay His head like the foxes have holes and the birds have nests. He he wasn't even able to see His 35th year. But He was cut off in the midst of His 34th year when He was 33 and a half years old. And so we should follow His example by going forth unto Him without the camp. Because that is not our place. We're, we're strangers and we're pilgrims. We're passing through this world even when the city under consideration is the city of David, the city of God, the city of the Lord Jesus Christ up to that point. But then when Jesus left that city, it was deserted and turned desolate in just 40 years. For here we have no continuing city. And that is true metaphorically, spiritually, and practically. Who cares about New York City? It's a pile of tin that is going to melt so fast when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Who cares about London? Who cares about Greenville? Who cares about Ann Arbor? What city do you think is special? We have no continuing city here, even if we go up the chain of cities to Jerusalem, which was the city of the great God and the great King. This is what Paul's referring to that even Jerusalem was to be forsaken and to go outside the camp of Israel. Do you know how hard that was for a Jew to go outside the camp of Israel, to go outside the city of Jerusalem, to depart from tabernacle or temple worship? They knew that it was God's temple. They knew that it was God's Word being read there. They knew that they were God's priests that were ministering there. But they left all that because Jesus Christ had brought in a reformation of religion which gives us the New Testament, for which we are very thankful. Let's be willing to follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died outside the city of Jerusalem, giving us an example that we should be willing to go outside the camp. Let's flip back a couple of pages to Hebrews 11 again. Hebrews 11. What does it mean to be a stranger and a pilgrim in the world? Well, look at the 15th verse this time of those four verses we read earlier. Verse 15. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. I explained it to you in the first service. The issue here is if they had been mindful. If they had had some sentimental attachment to Mesopotamia, to Ur of the Chaldeans, there might have been arrangements made for them to go back to it. How many have gone back? How many have we met that said Jesus Christ was their all? That said heaven was their goal? That said of the Word of God, the New Testament was their standard and have departed from us? Dozens and dozens of them. Because they were mindful of other things. 
they would actually let a foolish thought come into their head of something other than New Testament doctrine. We are to be persuaded of New Testament doctrine, embrace it, and confess that we will live by it, which makes us strangers and pilgrims here. But the emphasis that I want to get from this 15th verse is that word mindful. When we talk about being strangers and pilgrims, it's to get rid of any thoughts in our mind of going back or finding our fulfillment in this life. What is a belly worshiper according to God's definition? In Philippians chapter 3, and let's go look at it. I've used it many times, but we want to remember it. We want to apply it. We want to practice it. We want to confess every time this happens to us, we are belly worshipers. Philippians chapter 3. In verse 17, the Apostle Paul has said, Philippian brethren, follow me and mark others that live the same way and follow them. But then in parentheses, he says there's a group in the church that you shouldn't be following. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. It says of Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob, they were not mindful of that country they came out of. You know, if if Sarah had sat around all day and pined away, oh, I miss my friends. I miss my house. I miss my family. I miss Abraham having a settled, fixed house in Ur. I miss the language. I miss the city festivals. I miss, miss this and I miss that. But she didn't do it. Abraham didn't do it. Abraham had some means. Because he had enough means that when he arrived in Haran, he was able to buy a bunch of domestic servants so that when he came into the land of Canaan and five kings from Mesopotamia came against Sodom and Gomorrah, he had 318 trained male servants. That is a large household. He had means, but he was not thinking about the lost job. And listen, right now I want to commend those in this church that have left family. The Lord knows and I know that have left friends, that have left houses, that have left jobs, that have left states, that have left comfortable surroundings to come and be among a bunch of strange people, and I'm meaning strange in a different way than Hebrews 11. I commend you in Jesus' name. We have a church full of them. You're great examples. You're very much like Hebrews 11. You're very much like 1 Peter 2. You're very much like what we're speaking of right now. You did not mind earthly things. You were willing to hit the silver lever on those earthly things. You were willing to uproot, not knowing what your future held in the way of a profession, in the way of income, in the way of getting along with this crazy group of people. It was a huge decision you made. And I commend you in Jesus' name. I just want all of us to live up to that and to continue to live that. Lord, help us. Help us to that end. What do you mind, my brothers and sisters? What do you mind, meaning what do you think about? 
if Sarah had sat there, oh, this is so boring. It's so dusty. You know, it was the land of Canaan. It was the wilderness. Remember, they had to move around because there wasn't enough water to handle the flocks of Abraham and Lot together. These Canaanites around here. Are we ever going to have our own house? You want to talk about a mobile home? They had a mobile tent. And they just moved around. They were sojourners in the land of promise. They never, he never owned any. The New Testament wants us to know that he did not own enough to put his foot on. He did not own one square foot of territory. You say, well, what about the burial ground? That was his family cemetery and it didn't count. When was the last time you know somebody that lived on their cemetery? On their cemetery. Uh, the Bible says he didn't own enough ground to even put the, his foot on. But he saw the promises afar off that God was going to give him heaven. God was going to give him a son, a seed named Jesus Christ. He was going to defeat all his enemies, the real enemies. Not the five kings of, of Mesopotamia, but death, hell, and the devil. And he saw all of that, and he embraced it. And they didn't sit around and think about the past. Are we in this room today to be reminded to be faithful to God? That everything on this inferior clod is junk. Everyone on this inferior clod is drunk, is junk, but the Lord's people. And to live consistent with that. This is what the Lord wants us to consider today. And so it says in the last part of verse 19, who mind earthly things. They think about earthly things. They're enamored, attached. They find peace. They find their gladness in earthly relationships, earthly things, earthly accomplishments, earthly goals. And we want heavenly, spiritual, godly goals and people and activities and passions and priorities. This is what it means to be a stranger and a pilgrim in the earth. You say, but i got to go to work tomorrow. Yes, you've got to go to work tomorrow. Is it your life? Or is it just a means to your life? Is it an unnecessary evil? I've got to go to school tomorrow. Is it your life? Do you get excited about school instead of the Lord Jesus Christ? Make a choice. Please make the right choice with me today. Let's be strangers and pilgrims in the earth. It's another necessary evil. And most of you that have had a job know that school is a necessary evil. And the emphasis is on evil. Not necessary. Let's be committed to the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's not fall into this verse. And we are all capable of falling into this verse. The Lord knows our buttons to find out what earthly things mean the most to us. Give them up. Give them up willingly. And here goes the Apostle Paul. For our conversation, our conduct and lifestyle is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. That is minding earth. We don't want to mind earthly things. We want to mind heavenly things. And it's a choice that we make every day when you get up. There's 1,440 minutes. How will you burn them? 
Will you burn them chasing the things of this life? Or will you burn them for the Lord? For heaven? For spiritual things? Look at Philippians chapter 2 since you're so close. Philippians 2.5 Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind was in Christ Jesus? Well, Philippians 2.6 says, Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But, look at 7, made Himself of no reputation. Are you willing to give up your reputation? But made Himself of no reputation, and took upon Him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ was God, the Word, and He chose to come to earth willingly, cheerfully, gladly, by covenant commitment to save us from our sins. And so it says, He made Himself. He made Himself of no reputation. I'll give up the glory to come and be attached to this man, Jesus of Nazareth. And He humbled Himself. He was a carpenter's son. There was no room at the inn. Mary and Joseph had to offer the poor person's sacrifice for his cleansing and her cleansing after the birth. He was a servant his entire life. He owned nothing. He just served other people. Ah, the life of a Christian that's a stranger and pilgrim in the world. A servant of God and a servant of God's people. Is there anything else? No. And the more you seek something else to add value to your life, you cheat yourself and will lose your life. Jesus taught it twice in just the Gospel of Matthew that if you want to find your life, you need to lose it for His sake and for the sake of His people. Jesus did it. And so it's this mindset. When we talk about being a stranger or a pilgrim, it's in our minds. So much of it is. We're to gird up the loins of our mind and hope to the end for the grace that is to be revealed to us. So it's tightening up our minds. I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to think about them. I'm not going to think about my future. What can I do right now to serve the Lord? So we gird up the loins of our mind. I taught that recently when we went through Peter's epistles. What earthly things do you think about? What, what gets, what, what enamors you? What are you attached to? What do you think too much about so that you're, you're kind of stifled and stunted in growth as a Christian? A house? Abraham and Sarah made it pretty well without one. Jesus didn't have one. Why do you need one? Is it wrong to have a house? Did anyone say that? Did anyone imply that? It's just stupid to get excited about it. Over much. There's got to be a priority at all times. The house of the Lord is my most important house. My house in heaven is my most important house. The new house that I'm going to get from God that is made without hands is my more important house. If you take any word and think about it in a term, in a natural sense that, that becomes important to people, we can show 
that there's a spiritual sense of it that is far more important. And let's keep that priority. Is it your house? Is it your education? Do you know what the Lord's going to ask you about your degrees when you meet Him? Why don't you know more about my word? That's what He's going to ask you. Why don't you know more about my word? He doesn't care about your degree in comparison to knowing about Him. Yes, we go to school. We get trained. We get a transferable skill. It's taught. It's stressed. It's reminded in this church. But I have to keep everything in its proper place, and so I speak of it the way that I am right now. Is it your profession? What profession do you want the most? Some nice position at a bank? Or to be a servant of the Lord and the Lord's people? Say, well, I've got to go to work and support what yet. No one said you shouldn't. But what's important to you? What makes you glad? What gets you up in the morning? What energizes and motivates you during the day? What thrills your soul? Is it serving the Lord Jesus Christ in the job? Colossians chapter 3, verse 24 says, we serve the Lord Christ by going to work tomorrow morning. We serve the Lord Christ, and we should do it as unto Him. Do it heartily as unto the Lord. Is it wealth? Are you trying to accumulate stuff? Are you trying to accumulate assets? Is it family? You know, there are people that actually say family is the most important thing. They are so warped and twisted. Thank you, young lady. Are you kidding me? Family. That's like the junkyard dog loving its mommy that was another junkyard dog. Jesus said, if you don't hate father and mother, brother and sister, and your own life and houses and lands, you cannot be my disciple. Does that mean we dishonor them? No, it does not mean we dishonor them. Does it mean we have a limit to our honor? Absolutely. Absolutely. We keep them in their low place if they're not children of God that love Jesus Christ. Like the man saying to Jesus, the disciple, I need to go bury my father. Follow me and let the dead bury their dead. What is it? Is it landscaping? Is it another 7,000 square foot garage? That's just for someone that I knew could take it publicly. And he is not guilty of any sin. He's got to examine his own heart just like we all have to. Is it landscaping? Is it vehicles? You know, you younger people, when you get a car, when you get a new car, it's pretty exciting. Do you get as glad as you do when you come in here and hear how sweet to die at about 100 decibels. It shouldn't compete. It shouldn't calculate. Um, is it clothes? Is it appearance? Is it, your, is it your looks? Is it athletics? Is it hobbies? What do you mind? If we're passing through, let's keep all those things in a small, relegated, demoted place so that the chief goals and the chief thoughts of our minds, the chief embraces of our hearts, are God's promises, and Him and His Son, Him and His Word, Him and His people, Him and heaven above. When you go out of this place, in just a few minutes, no one 
is going to remind you of what we're talking about. No one. So we come in here, and you have to hear this from me. And we should want to hear it. Thank you for the reminder. Thank you for not getting up and preaching something pretty and smooth to us. Thank you for reminding us that we need to be living a sacrificial life of being a pilgrim and a stranger. I want the Lord's blessing. I don't want God to be ashamed of me. I want God to love me and to establish me in His city that He's built for me. You're going to be strange. Look at 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4. You know, if you're a stranger, they're going to think you strange and they're going to tell you that you're strange. Do you know some of the things they said about the Lord Jesus Christ? And John the Baptist? John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say, he hath a devil. He's devil-possessed. The Son of Man is come eating and drinking, and ye say, behold, a gluttonous man, and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, with an exclamation point. They love to call names of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, no matter what they did. John the Baptist was the opposite of Jesus. Jesus was the opposite of John. It didn't matter. They had something to say because as soon as you make the Creator God the rule of your life, the being of your life, the object of worship of your life, and His Son Jesus Christ, and a sanctified Christian life, they will hate you. If they don't hate you yet, it's because you're not living that way sufficiently. Because the verse goes like this, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12 And that is in the middle of the passage about the perilous times of the last days which we are in, which means how that verse should be fulfilled in our lives. The, the, the more that we're strangers and pilgrims here scoffing at and mocking the things of life, the more they're going to think us strange. And it's going to get stranger every day. It is getting stranger every day. In 1 Peter chapter 4, we have the warning from Paul. From Peter, excuse me. 1 Peter 4, 4. Wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Because here's the changed life. Verse 3, The time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. And so when we change that, and we no longer live that way, they think we're strange. If you stop listening to worldly, ungodly music that is corrupting your soul, the people that know what kind of music you've been listening to are going to think that you're strange. Every one of those changes that you make to follow Jesus Christ more perfectly, to be a stranger and a pilgrim in this world, they're going to think you strange for it. You've got to be ready for it. You need to embrace even that. It's a compliment from the world when they say, You're strange. Thank you, world. Thank you, worldling. You will be strange even to other Christians. For most Christians are not strangers and pilgrims in the world. They're in bed with the world. They love the world. They love the things in the world. Reject their solicitations. They're going to solicit for foolish, 
for sinful reasons. The more the world and Christians compromise and change like they are right now, the stranger we will be. Are your children ready to bear the reproach of Christ, going outside the camp, even of God's people? Are you ready? Am I ready? Look at 1 Peter 1. Peter had a lot to say about this because Peter wrote so much about the second coming of Jesus Christ and the burning up of this heaven and earth as we know it. So he had a lot to say in both epistles. 1 Peter 1 and verse 17. And if ye call on the Father, I think if I were to ask any one of you in here to pray publicly, we would get the word Father out of your mouth. But not all of you are sincere. If ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. And when I say that you're not sincere, if you are not passing the time of your life from this birthday to the next birthday, from this Sunday to next Sunday, from now until you're asleep on your pillow tonight, if you're not doing it with a measure of fear of God against yourself and against your thoughts, then you're insincere. And you shouldn't use the name of Father for Almighty God. Because when you use Father, you are saying you are His Son. And if you're His Son, you will pass the time of your sojourning. Remember, to sojourn is to be a stranger and a pilgrim. It's to pass your life is passing time. It's the 70 or 80 years Charlie mentioned. You're passing time, and you're to do it in fear. If you're going to call on the Father, because the Father is holy, as it says in verses 15 and 16. We want to be obedient children, as it says in verse 14. We want to gird up the loins of our mind, as it says in verse 13. Verse 18, He's given His own Son for your redemption. Therefore, we should pass the time of our sojourning here in fear. Because God has no respect of persons. He does not care what you think about yourself. He does not care what anyone else thinks about you. He cares how He measures you. He has no respect of persons. And He judges according to every man's work. He doesn't care about your words. He doesn't care about your writing. He doesn't care about your church attendance. He cares about your works. And He measures you accordingly. And so, we should pass the time of our sojourn. We're just sojourners for 70 years. We pop in by popping out of our mother's belly. We wander around for 70 years and we leave as naked as we arrived. And many times, as ignorant. Because senility has stolen every bit of sense we had. We're messing on ourselves like when we arrived. And in between, we were sojourners passing time. But we're told here how to pass that time in the fear of the Lord. Doing things His way. Only His way. Always His way. He gets the benefit of the doubt. The Word of God gets the benefit of the doubt. Nothing else should enter our minds. We shouldn't be mindful of anything else but God's will. Oh Lord, help us to do that. We need to take up our cross daily and follow Him as Jesus said in Luke 9. Look at John 15. John 15 and verse 19. John 15 
in verse 19. This is the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. John fifteen nineteen. If the world doesn't hate you, you're doing something wrong. The people of our sojourn are His fully committed, dedicated, born-again, Christ-blood-washed saints. Like David said in Psalm 122, Earth is not your home if you're a Christian. Earthlings, even family, are not your people. Heaven is your home. And those people going to heaven or already in heaven are your people. When it says Abraham was gathered to his people, who were they? It was Enoch and Abel and the other ancestors of his that were already in heaven. We have come into union and communion and community by the Spirit of God with the spirits of just men made perfect. So we want to keep our priorities the way that God has set them. So I'm asking you, how do you sojourn? How are you passing your time sojourning here in this world? We need to redeem the time by buying it back from whatever is stealing it from us. You need to trade things in your life to get more time to do things of a spiritual nature and a worship of God. We need to drop the weights that hinder our race, as Hebrews 12 teaches. You know, when you take a stand, not, a, not in thought or word, but in deed, if you take a stand in deed, you'll find that about being a true stranger and pilgrim, and that's what we need to do. I am not going to do that anymore. I am going to do this. I have let this become too important. Forgive me, Lord. This is going to be more important now. Lord, help me. How often do you pray like that? Lord, incline my heart toward thy precepts and away from covetousness. David said, David prayed, a real stranger and pilgrim, a disciple indeed, continues in Christ's word without variation. John chapter 8 and verse 31. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. We need to get less attached to the things of this world. Look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2. Get less attached. Don't think about them. Don't embrace them. We've got a set of things to get to think about. We've got a set of things to persuade each other about. We've got a set of things to embrace. We've got a set of things to confess. And they're wonderful. It's the gospel. The glad tidings of good things. But there's a whole other set of things that we want to avoid. 1 John 2.15 Love not the world. It's an order. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. That's the man who is a stranger and pilgrim in the earth. Look at Mark chapter 10. Mark 10. Oh, Lord, help us. We want to be a church on higher ground and seeking yet higher ground and ready for Your coming. Oh, we don't want to be caught in love with this world, in love with Your little plans. 
You know, we make fun of God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life because it's offered to every reprobate in a track. But God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Why are you messing it up with your plan for your life? Because whatever your plan for your life is that is different from His plan for your life, you're messing up His plan for your life and you're the loser. Because you're not smart enough to have a plan for anything. I'm not smart enough. The Lord's done it. And He's laid it out to us in writing. He has a wonderful plan for us. He's got eternity covered. He's got death covered. He's got sickness covered. He's got everything covered. Mark 10, verse 28, Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and are strangers and pilgrims in the earth. Mark 10, 28, We are passing the time of our sojourning here in fear, Lord, and we have followed thee. Are you with me? Mark 10, 28, And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, plural pronoun, all the apostles, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers, and children and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. That's a deal. That's a steal. That just isn't fair. That's just pure grace. You mean if I give up one of these things and say, I don't need it anymore. You're going to give me a hundred now? An eternal life in the world to come? You got it. It's not fair. It doesn't make sense. It's grace. It's mercy. It's loving kindness. It's a gentle Father that is not asking too much of any of us. You know all about Sodom and Lot pitching his tent towards Sodom. Ruined his family. He's been made fun of for 4,000 years now for being such a fool. When he was drugged out of the city of Sodom by the angels who took him by the hand, he wanted to go to some little town to stay in the plain, not go to the mountains. He wasn't convinced until the hair was singed off the back. Then he decided that the mountains would be a good place to be. His wife, what was she mindful of? Comfort of her home in Sodom. Couldn't stop thinking about it. Turn and look back and turn into a pillar of salt. And Jesus has this short little verse. Remember Lot's wife. What is your infatuation? What must you have? How are you compromising with earth right now? Examine your happiness. What makes you happy? Examine your enthusiasm. What are you most enthusiastic about? Examine your priorities. How do you have your life ranked in its use of time, money, energy, effort, emotion, conversation? Examine your time. How do you use the 168 hours in a week Examine your choices. You choose to do this. You don't choose to do that. Is it always to glorify God and to be a stranger and pilgrim down here? What gives you security? Examine yourself. Our security should be in the promises of God. 
and God's presence. Not anything here. Examine your sentimentality. What are you sentimental about? Are you sentimental about the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you always want to hear Him honored and glorified? Or are you sentimental about something that I shouldn't verbalize because nothing should be compared to Him? There's no joys here that are deserved compared to our joy in God. Even your Christian spouse on earth, a thought that I started with early this morning, even your Christian spouse on earth will not be your spouse in heaven. That's about the most sentimental relationship you can have. My little wife and I are quite sentimentally attached. We've restated it to our to each other a number of times in the last few days. But as much security and pleasure, peace, comfort, joy, contentment that I have holding her tight when we tell each other that you better be careful with this statement, wife. When we tell each other that we're in the the best place we know on earth. But in heaven, she's not going to be my wife. They neither marry nor are given in marriage in heaven. Because I'm not going to be distracted and she's not going to be distracted from the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Down here, it's a pleasant distraction from time to time, but it needs to be kept in its proper place. And so my outline says that 1 Corinthians 7, 29-32 has a word for us. I would have you to be without carefulness. The man without a wife and the unmarried woman can think upon the Lord and serve Him better than if they were married. So that even that wonderful institution of marriage that is so pleasant and so comforting, it is a distraction, it is a weight, and it keeps us from serving the Lord as perfectly as we could. So Paul said, the time has come that they which have wives be as though they had none. So there is, there is a sense in which I need to make her a widow on a daily basis. And, and in a sense, she needs to make me a widower from time to time because she's pursuing the Lord and I'm pursuing the Lord. So some of you grandchildren, you had Nan building sandcastles with you. Where's Papa? Well, Papa's making his wife a widow. And he's no hero. I'm just trying to illustrate it for you. That the tenderest relationship we have in life should be put in its proper place so that Christ is all and the end all of our lives. An appropriate prayer. Lord, do not let me get too close or too attached to my family, my job, my house, my health, my body, my looks, my cars, my assets, my income statement. Oh Lord, do not let me get too attached to them. Keep me attached to Thee. Help me to set my affection on things above and not on things on the earth. My job as ambassador of the Lord 
is to warn you of coming accounting and judgment that's going to take place on how you should live now. The Lord knows all the choices you make, I make. We're going to be held accountable for them. Let's make them for Him. Let's, like Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob, be persuaded of the promises of what's coming. Persuaded of the promises of blessing. I mean, the promises are incredible. If I give up one, He gives me a hundred in this life, an eternal life in the world to come. That's what Jesus said. I am persuaded of it. Let's embrace it and confess and declare we're strangers and pilgrims here because we're looking for a better country. We have a little bit of time of sojourning down here. We're going to wander around for 70 years and do nothing that counts, and all of it's going to be stripped away when we stand before Jesus Christ, and a single thread of it will exist, and we should pass the time of our sojourning here in fear. The Bible tells us that. I'm not a fear monger. I'm just telling you what the Bible teaches, because we shall give an account to him. Don't you dare pray, Heavenly Father, if you're not going to live that way because you are not acting like a son of God unless you push things aside and make him the end all of your life. May he bless the preaching of his word, the profit of your souls, and the glory of him while we wait for his appearing. Amen.